you know, this whole weekend is really what you're going to get out of, what you're really going to get out of God is how much you're going to get, how much you're going to put into it. You know what I'm saying? So, so whatever you're going to put into tonight, you know, and tomorrow morning, it's what you're going to get back. Amen. So right now, we just, let's just close our eyes, get ready to worship Jesus. Amen. And just, let's just, God, we just want to thank you so much for your spirit. I really, what you have done, you have done and what you're going to do right now, Father, we give you glory. We give you all the honor, God. God, like the saints worship you in heaven and all the saints here on earth worship you, Father. We worship you this, this afternoon, God. We say you come and pour your spirit. You come and pour your power. You come and transform us, rearrange us. In the name of your Son, our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus, amen. Come on, let's worship. Hallelujah. How are you guys glad to be in another session where the Holy Ghost is going to move? Come on, let's open up these altars right now. Come on, if you want to come up and worship, come on, I encourage you guys to come up to the front. Let's get lost in the presence of God. We can never get enough of his presence, right? Come, we can never get too filled. We can never have too much of him. Come on, there's more this afternoon for us. Come on, put those hands together. chosen.
your throne to claim this crown through Christ my own free now forever come on nothing shout it out and nothing's gonna hold me back nothing's gonna hold me back nothing's gonna hold me change our attitude right now if that's your attitude come on say lord change my heart come on i I don't have enough of you jesus i want more father we want more god we're lovers of your presence we're lovers of your spirit god we desire a, a special time with you this afternoon god come on there's something new for me come on just say there's something new for me in your presence lord your presence, God. Jesus, more of you, God. More of you, Jesus. We want more of you, Lord. We want more of you, Jesus. We desire more 
you just pour out your heart before the Lord this afternoon? God, our hearts cry as for more. We want more of your spirit, more of your presence, God. Oh, oh. Let this be a sacrifice. Let me dedicate my life to worship you. be a sacrifice let me dedicate my life to worship you come on just say that let this be a sacrifice Your presence. 
in your heart right now come on if you're tired come on stir up the passion in your heart tell your soul to worship him come on you tell your spirit spirit worship the living God come on tell your soul to worship him with all our heart with all our strength with all our minds with all our soul we worship you come on even when we're tired even when we don't feel like it God we make ourselves worship you because you're worthy because you're worthy Jesus you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're our Savior. You're our God. You're the bright and morning star. Come on, 
you're the lover of my soul. God, I worship you in the beauty of your holiness because you're awesome, because you're faithful, because you're good. Come on, tell your soul to worship him. Jesus, we worship you, God. You're holy. You're worthy. Come on, we join with angels this afternoon. We join with all of heaven in worshiping you. We join with the angels this afternoon. And we praise your name, God. We get past the emotion. We get past the physical right now. We get past the flesh right now. And we step into the spirit. Come on, if you want to worship God, worship him in spirit and in truth. Come on, with your spirit and in truth right now. Not with your flesh and your spirit. Worship him till you feel it in your spirit. Till you feel a fire in your belly. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, Jesus, we worship you in spirit this afternoon, God. Won't you burn, Jesus, burn in my soul, burn in my spirit, Holy Ghost, Jesus, hallelujah.
come on with everything. We shout forth your praise, God. Come on, sing with everything. Darkness tremble in your holy 
us. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. God, we thank you for tonight, God. We thank you that your presence is here with us, God, that we get to enjoy you tonight, God, that we get to spend time with you. God, one of the greatest gifts of all, God, to be in your presence. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Go ahead and greet your neighbor. We're going to transition into our time of journaling. Take a seat. Please take a seat and go with me quickly to chapter 10 of the book of Luke, verse 38. I want to give you guys a quick word to, to reflect on tonight or this afternoon. And what I want to talk to you about is, you know, being in a, this conference, Life in the Spirit, and thinking about the, the next sermon that the brother Jared is going to give to you, working in his spirit. And this is something that God gave me earlier today when I was, uh, when I was preparing to come here uh, today. Go with me to Luke 10, verse 38. Now, this is a story of Jesus with uh, Martha and Mary. So let me read it for you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and, will not, and it will not be taken away from her. Now thinking about the life in the spirit and working in the spirit, the next, the next message. A lot of times, even as Christians, we get so preoccupied about life, about the things in life and what we think is important. But what does Jesus say? There's only one thing important. We can be so preoccupied about work, about life, about family, even about things in the ministry. But when we don't take time with Jesus, what is life in the spirit? What is life in the spirit? What is working and doing things in the spirit, working in the spiritual gifts without Jesus? It means absolutely nothing. So as you guys re reflect on this, as you guys do your journal, reflect 
evaluate yourself where your life is at. Where are your priorities today? Is it about, oh, learning the next thing in the spirit or going, getting to the, the next deepest mystery? Or is it just enjoying God? Is it sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing him speak? Jesus took that opportunity, that moment, to teach Martha something. He said, life is not about you. Although Martha was doing something good, taking care of Jesus, serving Jesus, let us be like Mary today, amen? Let us go after Jesus, sit at his feet. And I'm sure Martha learned that lesson. I'm sure maybe the next time she was right there with Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. God, let your word stick in our hearts, God, tonight. In the name of Jesus. the Lord. Isn't he good? Hey, question of the day. How many of you are feeling really spiritual right about now? You, you know, it's it's not hard to feel spiritual in, a, in an atmosphere like this, in a time like this when we're worshiping God in song, when we're praying, when we're hearing prophecies, when we're hearing exhortations such as Pastor Chris just gave. But I want to give you a word that's going to prepare you when you're not in this atmosphere Amen. When you're not feeling spiritual. We're talking today about working in the spirit. Thus far, we've covered being washed in the spirit, which Pastor Adam talked about, how God sanctifies and cleanses us and changes us. This morning, Pastor Nancy taught us about walking in the spirit, how to live according to the Holy Spirit and, and, and live in a way that pleases him. Now I want to talk about working in in the spirit. The definition we've devised for this conference, life in the spirit, is as follows, to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit in all ways, to always live a life pleasing to God. I want to focus on always here. Someone say always. And I want to say on that note that this is not a message on evangelism or baptism or spiritual gifts. It's not a message on fellowship or discipleship or worship or battleship. This is a message about office meetings, doctor's visits, oil changes, business deals, purchases, big and small, changing diapers, taking exams, paying bills, running errands, date nights, vacations, hobbies, and the like. Not just the moments that we think are spiritual, and they are spiritual, but they're not the only spiritual moments, not just the activities that, that we relegate to, to being God-pleasing. But I want to share with you that every activity is spiritual in our lives, and every part of our lives is meant to please God. So what does it mean to be spiritual in your everyday life? Does it mean quoting Bible verses wherever you go? You ever heard of that oversaved friend? Maybe you are that oversaved friend give you an example, you know, they, they rebuke their, their vacuum because it's a dirt devil. That's the kind of person I'm talking about. Does that make you spiritual? Is that you speak in tongues more than everybody else? Does that make you the most spiritual? Is it that you go to every Christian concert, buy every Christian CD, and watch every Christian movie? Is that what makes you spiritual? 
Is, are you spiritual because you repost those share if you love Jesus, ignore if you love Satan Facebook statuses? What makes you spiritual in the day-to-day stuff of life? We're going to answer that question. But I'll tell you plainly, spiritual people are very practical and effective and influential in their day-to-day lives. Someone once said, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good, but that's a devil's lie. Because if you're truly heavenly-minded, you'll do the most earthly good. I'm going to give you three foundations for working in the Spirit, three understandings. I was very careful in how I put this word together for you all. I don't want to ostracize anybody. I don't want to make a message that's just for the married folks and then, you know, the single people got to take a time out or, you know, leave, leave out the full-time students while we address business owners. This is for everybody, amen? If you're within the sound of my voice, this message is for you. So no matter what your current circumstances are, no matter what God has called you to, these three foundations will help you to excel and please God in your life. Amen? First is lordship. Second is stewardship. Third is worship. Lordship says whatever you do, do unto Christ in recognition of his lordship. Stewardship says whatever you do, do unto Christ to responsibly carry out your stewardship. And worship says whatever you do, do unto Christ a reasonable act of worship. I'm going to get right into these, starting with lordship, the lordship of Jesus. Amen. He is our Lord and Savior. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. The lordship of Jesus. It says here, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, there's something we sometimes say as Christians. We say that Jesus paid for our sins, and that's true. But I want to carefully explain how Jesus paid for our sins. Because Jesus did pay for our sins, but he didn't buy our sins. Understand? He doesn't want our sins. He doesn't have a sin display case in his man cave. Your sin is nasty to him. He wouldn't touch it in a tent with, with a 10-foot pole if you paid him. He didn't buy your sins. He bought you. And his blood was was the price. It was the only sufficient price that could buy you out of your sin slavery. So when it says he paid for our sins, he paid for our sins in order to buy us. And if he buys us, then he owns us. And we are not our own. Therefore, we are to honor God in our bodies. Some of you are homeowners. You have your name on the deed. Some of you are car owners. You have your name on the title. Well, just imagine there's a title indeed to you, and Jesus' name is on it, written in blood. And let me tell you, when Jesus bought you, he didn't just pay for your church membership so that you could be part of the Jesus Country Club and look nice on Sundays and attend church picnics. Jesus owns you, friend. He owns every part of your life. There is nothing outside of his jurisdiction. He owns you on Sunday. He owns you on Monday and every other day of the week. 24-7, 365. He is your owner. I love how this is fleshed out in John 21. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. We all know about how Peter denied Jesus, yes? Denied him three times during his trial. And so in John 21, 
Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. You see, Jesus wants to restore Peter. He wants to use Peter again, but they have to have a heart to heart. And at the end of that discussion, Jesus begins to tell Peter how he's going to die. He says, Peter, one day they're going to take you out where you don't want to go. They're going to stretch your hands out. And then John, who wrote this narrating, says Jesus was telling Peter how his death would glorify the Lord. Could you imagine that? Jesus telling you the details of your death. And he says, this is how you're going to glorify me. Wouldn't that shock you? Wouldn't you just want to kind of huddle in a corner and cry maybe? Just overwhelmed by this revelation. So Peter turns and he looks at John. And he says, Jesus, what about John? And Jesus says, well, if I want him to live until I come back, what's that to you? You see, Jesus was Peter's boss, and he was giving him an assignment. And he had another assignment for John. He is our Lord, even down to the details of our death. Whether we live or we die, we live and die unto the Lord. He has ownership of us. And what he says goes. Everyone turn to James 4.13 through 17. That's in your notes as well. James 4.13 through 17. Jesus has the rights of ownership. What he says goes. What he, he doesn't say goes, it doesn't go. You are forbade from it. James is speaking to his congregation here. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James was rebuking members of his congregation who had what he called arrogant schemes and evil boasting because they were making their own plans for their own lives without consulting the Lord, without finding out what was his will. He says you won't even know what happens tomorrow. You know why? Because today and tomorrow, every day belongs to him. And if he says you can live tomorrow, you can live tomorrow. If he says tomorrow is your time to come to him, then tomorrow is your time to come to him. But as it is, people are, are living on with Superman complex, as if everything's in their control, as if everything's in their own hands. We're going to live and do this or that. We're going to make money. And he said you should consider if it's the Lord's will. Did you know there's such a thing as the church of Satan? And they have a satanic Bible and a satanic Ten Commandments. Funny how they rip off the things of God. One of the chief commandments of the church of Satan is do what thou will. It's a King Jamesy way of saying do whatever you want. In Bible days when people lived like that, they said they were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. Do whatever you want. Do as you see fit. Whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happy. That's the way you should go. And isn't that, is that not the mantra of the world? Believe in yourself, follow your heart, so on and so forth. And yet we're following Satan himself down to the letter. Satan says, do what thou will. James in the Bible says, do what God wills. C.S. Lewis said it well. He said there's only two kind of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. 
Come on. So we got to think about it. Is what you're doing, is the path you're on God's will? Did you consult the master when you took that major, when you were enrolled in school? Did you consult the master to date that girl? Did he say you could to make that purchase, to follow that career path, to, to take, uh, adapt that style of raising your kids? Did you consult the master? What he says goes. Amen. That is the lordship of Jesus Ephesians 5 says it very plainly. Find out what pleases God and do it. Someone say, just do it. Therefore, the Lordship of Jesus, he owns every part of our life, not just the church part of it. Second is stewardship. We have lordship, then stewardship. As we have established under lordship, we know that Jesus owns everything. And pop quiz church, if Jesus owns everything, then we own nothing. You heard that right. Now, you may think you own something. I think you understand, Jesus. I have a nice car, and I worked really hard for it, to pay for it. And, and Jesus says back to you, listen, I gave you the able body and sound mind to be able to work the job, to earn the money, to buy the car. And if I didn't give you that, you wouldn't have a job, you wouldn't have a car, you wouldn't have anything. Everything is from God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, don't forget the Lord. When, when, you've, when, you've made, when you've earned wealth, when you've made a name for yourself, when you're in comfortable living, don't forget the Lord who gave you the ability to do it in the first place. Everything you have is from God. But he entrusts it to you on a managerial sort of basis. That's, that's where we get the word stewardship. A steward is a manager. And a manager is someone who is entrusted to look after someone else's property and interest. In this case, God's. God gave us his things to look after. Think about it. Married folks, your spouse doesn't belong to you. Ultimately, I, I'm aware of scriptures that say, you know, the two become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 7 says that our bodies belong to each other. Amen. Married couples. But in the ultimate sense, one day your spouse will stand before the Lord on their own and you will not be there. And one day in heaven, there will be no husbands and wives, no mothers and fathers just children of the living God. And your job, your managerial duty as a spouse is to help your husband or wife be the best son or daughter they can be. That's why it says in Ephesians 5 for, that husbands are to purify their wives and to present them spotless. That is a managerial duty. I am going to take this daughter of the king and I'm going to help her be all she can be for the Lord. Same with your children for the same reasons I just mentioned. You could be their superhero. You can love them. How many just love their kids to death? Amen. And that's good because although they're God's things, you can act like you own them. Not in the sense that you try to keep it for yourself and control it, but in the sense that you can thoroughly enjoy God's things, amen, and that you take care of them like they were your own. Amen. So, so you have that, but it's not really yours because ultimately your spouse will stand before the Lord. Your kids will stand before the Lord on their own. And your managerial duty, whatever, whatever role you had to play in their lives, is to help them be all they can be for Jesus. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. Let's look at Luke 16, 8 through 13. This is the parable of the shrewd manager. In the verses prior, Jesus gives this illustration. He speaks of a master and a manager. The master represents who? God. 
The master represents God, and the manager represents us. It represents us. Very good. So there's the master and the manager. And the manager has been mismanaging his master's things, and he's about to get fired for it. So he's on, he, he's, he's a little nervous, and he's thinking, man, I'm about to get fired. I don't want to have to beg. I don't want to have to uh, dig ditches. I better make something happen for myself. So he goes to some of his master's clients and says, hey, what do you owe my master? They say, well, I owe this much. Okay, let's cut it in half. Let's make a deal. We'll pay it here. Goes to another one. How much do you owe my master? Okay, we'll knock this much off the bill. We'll pay it off right now. And in his mind, he was thinking, if I cut them these deals, then they're going to welcome me into their home or they'll, they'll give me a place to work. But there was an unseen benefit. The master actually commended him. As it says in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Everyone say shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So the master commended him because he was supposed to be doing that stuff the whole time. He got those guys to pay off their accounts. That was a, that was a genius move, right? He should have been thinking in those terms a long time ago. Jesus gives us some stewardship principles here. But let's look in verse 8. He gives an indictment to his people. Has anyone ever had a performance evaluation on their job? Okay. Imagine Jesus, your boss, sits you down in the office. And he says, you are not being shrewd enough. You're being outperformed by the people of the world. They're more motivated than you. They're more resourceful than you. Their work ethic trumps yours. And he calls you to improve. He says, be shrewd. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Let me just take a second to park on that. We need to be shrewd with the people of this world. We need to be shrewd with the worldly responsibilities that we have. We need to think of everything we do in the world as, as an opportunity to advance his kingdom. Have you been around people of the world this week? Have you worked with them? Have you been to school with them? Have you took your kids to the playground with them? Have you sat down and ate with them? We've been around the people of the world this week, haven't we? Have we used that as opportunities to preach the gospel, to magnify God, to influence others for Jesus Christ, have we? Jesus wants us to translate our worldly responsibilities into heavenly opportunities. Amen? I'm going to say it again. Jesus wants us to translate our worldly responsibilities into heavenly opportunities. He wants you to take your commute to work and make it an opportunity to advance the kingdom. He wants you to take your office staff meeting and, and bring something to the table that will influence others for Jesus Christ. He wants you when you're at the playground with your kids and there's some parent sitting next to you on the park bench. He says that's an opportunity. You need to be shrewd with the people of the world. And we need to be intentional about how we use worldly resources, our money, our vehicles, our job titles, etc. All of it to advance Jesus Christ's kingdom. And Jesus, I love how deliberate he is in his wording. He's, he calls us the people of the light. He could have said children of the kingdom. He could have said a lot of things. But he says people of the light. We are light bearers. Matthew 5, 13 through 15 says, You are the light of the world. 
and you are the salt of the earth. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and no one lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl. Rather, they put it on its stand so that, so that everyone can see its light. And he says, in the same way, let your good deeds so shine before men that they may praise your Father in heaven. You are to bear the light of Jesus Christ wherever you go. You are to be an influencer wherever you go. You are to, the things you do in this world are to bring praise and glory and honor to God wherever you go, whatever you do. It may be a mundane activity, but it can bring praise and, and glory to God. We are people of the light. And I'm speaking strictly outside of church here. Strictly outside, your everyday stuff. I think a prime example of this was Daniel. How many are familiar with the story of Daniel? He was embroiled in a godless culture. He was an official uh, for the king of Babylon, a, a, a wicked, cruel, pagan people. Yet he was effective in what he did. He was influential among them. He was respected among them. He did his job in excellence. And on a side note, don't expect to influence your boss if you're a lousy worker. But he had a good name with his boss. He had a good name with Nebuchadnezzar. He was uncompromising. He never ate their defiled food or bowed to their idols. You know, it's possible for, for God to exalt a man to even such a place. I was just thinking in modern terms. You know, I, I think a lot of Christians have the same idea about uh, Barack Obama and the Obama administration and their views being unbiblical. But I'm just thinking, what if a person of the light was in the Obama administration, an uncompromised Daniel? And isn't that what we pray for, a prophetic witness in those, in those places or city hall with Rahm Emanuel or your workplace with your boss? Are you being an influence where you work? Daniel was uncompromising, and he was gifted. Think about this. Daniel's bread and butter was that he interpreted dreams. This is a spiritual gift being used in the workplace. And I want to tell you this, the things that make you awesome as a servant, as a leader in the church, are the same things that will make you awesome out there. The same gifts you exercise here are the same gifts you exercise out there. So Daniel interpreted dreams. That's a spiritual gift. And I'm going to tell you something. There are... There are spiritual solutions to practical problems. There are, there are problems that worldly minds cannot solve, and they need a spiritual person. They need a person of the light. God may give you a word of wisdom for your job to help steer it on the right course through the economy. And you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, but you can give glory to God for the ideas that he gives you, exercising gifts of prophecy, exercising gifts of leadership, encouragement, and so on. These are all biblical spiritual gifts. You can exercise them Wherever you go, think about China. China is an economical powerhouse, but it is rife with human rights uh, violations and corruption. And in China, in the government and in the universities and in the major corporations of, of that nation, they're, they're, they're sitting behind closed doors. They're in meetings and they're saying, how can we get the ethics and morals of Christianity without Christ? Because they realize they have problems their worldly minds can't solve. They need people of the light to come and solve them. They need the light of Jesus Christ to solve it. And anywhere you go, there might be just fighting and, and, and confusion on your job. A person of the light needs to solve that. Now Jesus gives us some stewardship principles as we look at verses 10 through 13 of this chapter. 
He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. First principle he gives us, be faithful with little. Be faithful with little things. You know, sometimes we look at, uh, I'll, I'll give a ministry example. We look at pastors on TV. You know, like let's say some big day pastor gets on Larry King, and he's in the hot seat, and Larry King is grilling him with all the questions, and he blows it. Anybody ever watch sports, and they're just like, they think they know what this guy should be doing on the basketball court. They're like, shoot the J, man. Shoot the J. I can't believe he didn't shoot the J. I would have shot the J. What's he thinking? And, and that's how pastors are like when they see Mr. Megachurch pastor on TV, and he's being asked about homosexual practice and the like, and he blows it. He dances around the issue. He compromises and so on. And we think, well, I would have done differently. Would you? Would you really? How about when you're at the dinner table with your unbelieving family members? Do you act like he did with Larry King? Hello? Be faithful with the opportunities you have now. If you're a coward now, in small things you'll be a coward in big things. If you're compromised in small things, you'll be compromised in big things. In the workplace, you may have a starting position in, in, in your job, you know, and you notice there's bad management. And you think, man, I could run this place better. Well, I'll tell you what, unless you just work and do your job and do it in excellence, you're never even going to be able to run this place. But if you work and you do things in excellence and you're a blessing to your superiors, you'll probably end up working there. A wise saying is this, if you want to excel in any organization you work for, learn to do everyone else's job. Do all those menial tasks. Learn to do it. Be a, a jack of all trades because people will entrust you with a lot and you know how to oversee those things. Be trusted with little and you'll be given much. How about relationships? Single men. How many know it's different if you try to flirt and pursue a wrong relationship with a girl? Yeah, you, you might get burned. You might get embarrassed. The Lord will chastise you. But how many know it's different for if a single guy flirts with the wrong girl than if a married guy flirts with the wrong girl? How many know it's a road for disaster? Be trustworthy with little. Be self-controlled as a single person. Be discerning as a single person. And God will entrust you with the spouse. And we could go on and on with, with examples of how big things have small beginnings. You know, the road to Ph.D. may start with GED. Come on. Small indiscretions, when repeatedly unchecked, will develop a pattern of corruption. But small acts of obedience, repeated consistently, will develop a person of character. Those little things catch up with you. They say it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little details you miss, those things you overlook, those indiscretions. And when that catches up with you, it, it tarnishes your name and you're not seen as a person of integrity, but when you do everything in integrity, when you obey God in the smallest things, it builds up, it builds up, and that just becomes who you are. You're obedient. You're trustworthy. And that's how God's people ought to be. 
Next thing he tells us is be faithful handling worldly wealth. I got to share my own testimony as I do this. When I first got saved, I worked at a hospital around the same time, actually. I got hired at the hospital around the same time I got saved. And so you've got a Pentecostal guy working at a hospital. It's like a kid at a candy shop. I'm praying for every sick person I come across, speaking in tongues, preaching to all of my coworkers and all this. And I just thought I was the bomb.com. I'm the man of faith and power for the hour. I am the high priest of, of this hospital. I eventually got fired for gross disubordination. An ambassador of Christ gets fired for gross disubordination because while I was laying hands on everybody like I was Benny Hinn, I wasn't at my post. I wasn't doing what they paid me to do. I needed to be faithful with that worldly wealth, with that worldly opportunity that was given me. I could have been influential there. I could, have, I could have had more longevity there. Who knows what God would have had in store? Here's a little tidbit. Learn from me. The most spiritual thing to do on your job is your job. Come on. Glory. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures in he- uh, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not steal and uh, do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When you handle worldly things, you got to understand, how could I use this for the kingdom? How can this have a heavenly end? How can this translate into something useful for God? He contrasts worldly wealth with true riches. You need to translate your worldly wealth, the worldly opportunities that you're given in your everyday life, and translate them to true riches. And there's another application to this thought is that some may only see their rewards in heaven. You may work hard your whole life, never get recognized, never get ahead. You're a person of integrity. You love Jesus. You serve in the church. But it just it may never come through for you. Some people may only see their rewards in the kingdom, but I assure you, your rewards uh, will not be destroyed by moth and rust, and they will not be stolen by thieves. Amen. So just a few thoughts on that. Thirdly, he says, be faithful with other people's things. Look to the interests of others. Don't be selfish. I find that when you look out for the interests of others, they they look out for your interests. Amen. Serve others' interests as you would serve Christ. Colossians 3.23, do not work, uh, do everything you do, in, do unto Christ and not for human masters. That was actually written to slaves, by the way. Think about that. The most demeaning job, the most mundane job. And he's saying, work unto your slave master as, as if he were Jesus Christ. We do all things unto the Lord, being faithful in other people's interests. I got to tell on my brother Ishmael. Where he at? There he is. I told my brother Ishmael a little testimony of his. He had calculated how much he produces for his job, his production hours, and the money he makes for his job. It was a nice six-figure number. And um, he was telling me how much he makes, and his, his salary is, you know, five figures. He gets, he gets benefits and everything. But, he, but you can see that what he produces for his job is actually much more than what they compensate him. And you would think some people, you know, in this 99% culture of ours, oh, they're getting rich off me. They're, 
off the sweat of my back. You know, they're just puffing cigars while I'm, <laughs> I'm away from my family. You know, we, we always think of those terms. But he said he was glad. I'm glad to make that money for them because that's what they hired me for. It shows that I'm being useful. It shows that I'm being a blessing to somebody because as he blesses them, they're able to bless and employ others. And so that's, that's, the, that's the right perspective. When you work for other people, you're being a blessing to them. Your prayer, when you go to the job, your prayer, anywhere you go with your family, God, make me a blessing for my supervisors, for my superiors. Make me a blessing to them. Help me to make their load lighter. You may not like them. Again, they were, the slaves were exhorted to work for their masters as unto Christ. Be a blessing to them. Be a blessing to your workplace. Does your workplace grieve you? Is there idle talk in the, in the break room? I'm sure there is, but you as a person of the light can be a blessing to your job. You can be uplifting on your job and serve the interests of others. Amen. Fourth principle, be faithful to only one master. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. And he put money there on purpose because money, like few other things, has this ability to make us want to worship it and trust it as though it were God. But I want to expand on that principle and say you cannot serve both God and blank. Fill in the blank. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and achievement. You cannot serve both God and family, education, purpose, ministry, etc. These are but means to an end. If you make it all about your family, all about your wife, all about your kid, you're going to end up despising God. He says you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. You make it all about money, all about success, you're going to despise God. You're going to turn your back on the Lord. I think of a man I met a few weeks ago. He was just telling me how much he loves my, his, his family. And I said, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And he says, no, I love my family with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I said, well, sir, you're breaking the greatest commandment. He says, well, I can't change the way I am. He says, well, God can change you. But when you make it all about your family, you inevitably despise God. Nothing can take the place of God. Be faithful to only one master. Understand the purpose of everything you do. They are means to an end. Understand the purpose of your job is not just to make you money and earn you benefits. The purpose is the glory of God. Amen? The purpose of your family, you get the benefit of the love and togetherness of the family, but the purpose is the glory of God. Come on. With anything you do in life, your job, your education, it's not simply to have plaques on your walls for people to call you doctor and so on. It's for the glory of God. And when we lose sight of that, we begin to despise God. When we make it about those things, they become idols. We must, get off on, we must get on God's agenda. We must sign on his mission statement. We must live for his glory and lost souls. That must be the end we have in mind. And everything else we do is the means. Amen. Now, before I get into my last point, I want to surprise you all. I want to welcome up my mentors, a couple that has exemplified working in the spirit, yielding every part of their life to the Lord Jesus. Uh, they, they've just been tremendous, and they want to share some stories, some lessons they learned in HGU. That's Holy Ghost University. 
some things the Holy Spirit taught them about life. If we could get Pastors Joe and Nancy Wyrostek, amen, working it with the Wyrostics. Nice. Nice. Let me just say this introduction was really meant for Birdo and his beautiful wife, but she was uh, forced to stay home because Evan was sick. So, Berto, we love you and your marriage. And we asked uh, Jared when he was talking about this that he would highlight a marriage in our leadership to kind of talk about how marriage uh, applies these principles. And so, Berto and Grisella were supposed to do that. So if you get a chance, talk to them. Get their heart on marriage and those different things because it was really uh, for them today. But my wife and I obviously are honored to share as well. And sometimes when I get to preach, uh, I share my stories in marriage, and it's usually... Like, dear God, how did she marry me? You know, how did this happen? I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But as Pastor Jared was talking, there was two things that stuck into my mind. The first one was from GED to PhD, and that's, man, that's for my heart right there. Thank you for that word. I actually was a high school dropout, got a GED, and I just finished a three years master program a year ago. Amen. And uh, we'll give glory to God. You didn't have to clap for that. That's okay. Um. And I want to get a Ph.D. So I was just like, hey, that's me. Um, had nothing to do with the marriage thing. But I just wanted to say, you're preaching, man. And then the second thing is, is what Nancy and I, I think, have learned, and I'll speak for myself, but what I have learned with Nancy is that living for Christ gets real when you share that bed with somebody else. So it caused me to really look at myself. Because when I feel like praying, when I was by myself, and I was a bachelor, like, to the rapture. Like, I thought, like, I, like, I thought Jesus was going to take me home before I was ever going to get married. Eight long years, man, I had to wait, 18 to 26. And that just shows you how messed up I was because Jesus was like, I am not letting you get near her until I take you a long way from your past. So eight years, God kept me from my honey bunny. But then finally, it was 10. I was 10. Okay. I got married. I thought I got married at 26. I don't even know. Are you being serious? I got married at 28. Oh, I thought I said it was. You got married at 28. Okay, thank you. See, this is exactly what I wanted you guys to see. Now I hand her the mic. So it's like this. This is what I'm talking about. I don't. I don't even know how old I was when I got married. And this is how real it gets. This is such an example. Praise God. We couldn't have planned that. And so when I was single, a bachelor to the rapture, it was like, I want to pray. I want to be spiritual. You know, I just did whatever I wanted. But now it's like being spiritual is like holding her while she's in bed at night. You know, she wants to be held. And sometimes I, like, we started off splitting the bed. And then I just, I, I said, look at you and look at me. There is no way you're getting half of this bed. So literally I got out a calculator. Like I got out a calculator. And I'm like, I am getting like five eighths of this bed, and you're getting the other three eighths with the measuring stick. You know, I'm just teasing. But we pretty much got like that. And so one day, like while I'm laying in our, we, by the way, we started with a queen size bed, and we had to go to a king size bed. It still is not big enough, you know. So I measure this five eighths, and I'm just teasing, but something like that. And I'm like sprawling out, and her head is like, she can't even lay to the headboard. She has to like scoot down. And then, like, I get, like, this conviction. And I'm like, I need to, like, love on her. So I give her, like, a hug. And then I'm like, okay, now go back to your space. <laughs> and then the Lord deals with me. Like, you women are like, oh, dear God, is that really how it is? Yes. 
that is really how it is. And then, and then I'm like asking the Lord for forgiveness because I don't hug on her enough. I'm not, I'm, you know, and then like, guys, you know how it is, man. Like I got this Italian blood in me, man. I grow hair like, like an ape, man. Like I am the body of the missing link of evolution. And, and, and I'll just be like, honey, honey, I'll just, you know, I got like the buzzer going. I'm like, come on, honey, you got to come in here and shave my back, you know. And she'll come and shave my back. And then, like, she'll be, she's, like, bear, bore, like, three of our children. Three of our children are all huge, big babies. And, and, and she will be, like, laying down, and, I'll, and, and she'll be like, honey, can you rub my back? Just rub my back. And literally, will be like, oh, it just takes so much to make you happy, doesn't it? It just takes so much. Gosh, am I done? Am I done? And I'll just, and it'll be like, it'll, it'll be like 942, and I'm like, I'm going to 945. I'm going to 9.45. Let's just show them how we do it, though, baby. <laughs> so having said that, selfish, 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 the spirit begins to convict me at different times. And he's just like, go rub on her back. Go do something for her, you know. And so the other day, this was, this was God. This was the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I can just imagine... What happened to make this happen? Like, I'm sure, like, God sent Gabriel one day, and it didn't work. He sent Michael in one day. And then, like, I woke up one morning, and it was like, oh, my gosh, why don't I get up and take care of the kids for breakfast? And I, it, it, I can just literally, like, like, hear heaven saying, he finally got it. He finally got it. He got it. We sent ten angels to him, guys. He got it. So it was just like, boom. It was like. She gets up every day at 6.30. I get to sleep until 8. Why don't I get up and take care of the kids? And see, that's what life in the Spirit is like. It's, it's, it's hearing things from God in everyday life and marriage. That's what I've been learning. Honey, money, you want to tell me how we do it? I'm going to do my best. I don't have that many stories. But I think that, you know, from a wife's perspective, I feel that our role, you know, in working in the Spirit is really being intentional when it comes to submitting to our husbands. We really have to think about it throughout our day and just understand that when we submit to our husbands, we're showing them respect in public and in private, but ultimately we're honoring the Lord. And so I just feel like when it comes to being a wife and being you know, a mother to our children, I feel like as if the woman is just in that place of submission, and it's not that he's... Your husband is lording it over you or you don't have a voice. It's just keeping our attitudes in check, understanding that I, can, I can't always say what's on my mind and feel justified. Women, we don't always have to speak what's on our mind to our husband. We can hold back sometimes and just allow them to lead and just trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. So I feel like the word for the women here is be intentional when it comes to you working in the Spirit to submit to what your husband is saying, where he's leading the family, how he's trying to orchestrate uh, to have the children in order. And it's in the little things that could be such a big deal, whether it's how much of the bed space you have. And just for the record, he has about 80% of the bed, and I have 20% of the bed. So, <laughs> so just being intentional, not always having to speak our mind in an attitude, because my, my weakness is, is to be selfish, because I'm so consumed with trying to do things for the kids and for myself. It's like, well, Joe's, he's a grown man. He can take care of himself. But as a wife, we have to serve 
our husbands. We have to honor them and love them and take care of them. And in those moments when the children are screaming, somebody just had diarrhea, you know, somebody just scraped themselves, and then here the husband comes into the room and they need something, you want to lash out, and we can't do that. So it's being intentional, having, you know, that heart of walking in the fruit of the Spirit at all times. And we're not going to be perfect at it, but desiring that, that place where it's like, God, you're going to give me the strength to be that Proverbs 31 woman that you created me to be, where I'm going to honor you as I honor my husband when I submit to him, when I respect him, when I show him love, when I'm going to take care of him in, in the things of the house, making sure the house is clean, the house is in order, the kids are taken care of, that it's honoring Christ. Because ultimately, all that we do and every menial task, it is a spiritual act. And I like that you said that. Changing diapers is a spiritual task. Can I get an amen from the women? Taking care of sick children is a spiritual task. Why? Because we're doing it all as unto the Lord. And give, it gives him glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, pastors. That was a great word. How, they're just kind of filling in because I, I gave a lot of on-the-job examples, but it, it really does apply at the home. All the principles of Christianity, just a little rabbit trail, but all the principles of Christianity that, that we understand, you know, repentance, that's in the family, that's in marriage, amen, repentance, forgiveness, humility, faith, you know, I got to have faith for God to take care of my family and these things, all that applies, all that applies in our, in our, in our daily lives, all the principles of Christianity are very true, they're not impractical like these, these concepts like what is faith? Is faith just an object of the mind or something? No, faith is something I practice every day when I'm believing God to put food on the table. Come on. You know, repentance is something. Yeah, I repent to the Lord, but I repent to the wife too. Come on. And how many know it's spiritual? We, we just learned this. If you learn nothing else from the day, it's spiritual to shave backs and rub, rub feet. Amen. It's spiritual to put away the dishes. It's spiritual to get up early sometimes. It's it's spiritual to do those sort of things because you are keeping the command of Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands, and so on. All of these things we do are in keeping with God's commandments. I want to take you to the last point. We covered lordship, stewardship, and now worship. Everyone look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here in your notes. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now I'm going to take a few moments to dissect this passage to demonstrate how every part of our life is to be an act of worship to God. We'll give you a few more thoughts and then uh, we'll close out and we'll, we'll prayerfully respond to this message. Romans 12.1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So Paul here is instructing the reader to do something very drastic, very radical. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then you just like jump on the altar naked and you're burning like, ah, you know, could you, can you imagine? Is that the living sacrifice he had in mind? Probably not. We'll tell you what he had in mind, but I mean, that sounds pretty radical. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Maybe tomorrow. All right. Let's just, just turn my page in the Bible. But there's a basis for it, because that would be a very unreasonable request unless a good reason were given. And the reason is this. He says, in view of God's mercy, in view of, God, every, uh, in view of everything God has done for you, 
And just from a strictly literary standpoint, the word therefore, when you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, you want to find out what it's there for. Amen. So Romans chapter 12 is actually being linked to the previous 11 chapters of Romans. You see that? Which precedes determine that which proceeds. So what comes in Romans 11 is the basis for Romans 12. And uh, I hardly feel up to task to try to summarize those 11 chapters. But talking about God's mercy, talking about how God saves a sinner. It's amazing. God is so adamant about saving sinners that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When we were already lost and condemned in the world, God gave that which was most precious to him. Understand this about Jesus. He was not an ordinary man. He was not an extraordinary man. He was the God man. He was God in the flesh. He was God of God, very God of very God, the uncreated word who is in the beginning with the Father. And God sent him into the world to be slaughtered on our behalf. How serious is God about saving sinners? He's very serious. He went to such extreme lengths by giving his son. And listen, when God saves a man, he doesn't just stamp your ticket to heaven. He, when God saves a man, he goes lavishly overboard. He doesn't just save him. He gives him the Holy Ghost. He fills his heart with love. That's Romans 5. He adopts him as a son. That's Romans 8. He frees him from sin and shame, according to Romans 6. He gives him a purpose and destiny. That's also Romans 8. He makes him a brand new person, 2 Corinthians 5. He gives him power to overcome the world, 1 John chapters 4 and 5. He goes overboard. What he does for sinners, all we do is put our faith in Jesus, and he just goes, papa, there you have it. All the resources, all the goodness of God, all the goodness of heaven is poured out on us. In view of God's mercy, what has God done for you, and is it worth giving your all to him? Has God saved you from something today? Has he been good to you? Has he been kind to you? Has he been gracious to you? Has he changed your life? Has he done more than what you could ask or imagine? It's worth my all that I offer my body to him. And it says that offer our bodies. I want to explain quickly. I'll give you an anatomy lesson really quick. The Bible says that we are tripartite beings. Everyone say that word tripartite. And you could just write First uh, Thessalonians 5.23. That's the reference. But it's the teaching that every person is composed of three parts. The body, the flesh and bones, the soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. It could also be thought of as yourself or your consciousness or your awareness. And then the spirit. And it's hard to describe the spirit, but it's that part of you that is deeply connected to God and to the unseen world. Now, as Christians, we tend to downplay the body. We think of the body, you know, it's just my sinful flesh, it's my cross to carry, it's my burden, it's my hoopty that I ride around in until I get to heaven. But we want to have a proper understanding of the body. For instance, as we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, Honor God with your body. Philippians 1.20, Paul wrote, and he said that he hopes that God will be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death. So our bodies are vitally important. Think about it. Everything you do, you do in your body. With your body you eat, 
You drink, you breathe, you see, you think, you speak, you touch, you work, you rest, you go from place to place, you make love and bear children. Everything you do, you do in your body. And in point of fact, when your body dies, though your soul and spirit lives on, your time on earth is over. And your chance to do the things God has called you to, that's it. So our time in the body is linked to our time on earth and everything we do on earth. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done while in the body, while we were here on earth, with the time he gave us. And so it says, offer your bodies. And what I think he meant was, offer everything you do in the body. And you do everything in the body, don't you? Come on. Offer your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. Now let me tell you about sacrifices. In the Old Testament, there were many kinds of animal sacrifices offered. One type of sacrifice was to be an expression of worship. There were guilt offerings and peace offerings and various offerings. But there was an offering that was strictly of worship. And when a man wanted to worship God in those times, he would, let's say he had sheep. He would go to his sheep pen and he would pick out the best sheep. When you worship, you give your best. Amen? So he would get, he would pick out his best sheep. Now the rest of the sheep, they would... They, they, he could use them for whatever he wanted. He could butcher them for meat. He could keep them for wool, have them as a pet. But that one sheep that he designated to be a sacrifice, the destiny of that lamb was not to be meat, was not to be wool, was not to be your best friend. It was devoted now as an expression of his praise, glory, and honor, and thanks to God. And so he would take that sheep over to the high priest. The high priest would butcher, take him to the tabernacle. He would butcher him, and then he would... He would burn up the meat on the altar, and that would be a worship to God. Now let's parallel this to our New Testament times. We are a living sacrifice. That lamb was a dying sacrifice. A dying sacrifice is like a one-time thing. Once that lamb is offered, it can't be offered again. But because you are a living sacrifice, you go to the high priest Jesus, and Jesus is continually offering everything you do in the body unto, unto God the Father. As an act of worship, you see the parallel, you see the language he's using. You are a living sacrifice. You are continually, the things you do are continually being offered up to God the Father by your high priest, Jesus. A living sacrifice. And he says at the end of the verse, this is your true and proper worship. Think in your minds to the cross. And I want you to use your imagination here. We always use the passion of the Christ picture. I'll just ask just for imagination purposes, don't use that one. We know Jim Caviezel, the actor, he probably didn't look like that. But just think about Jesus, bludgeoned on the cross, betrayed by men, forsaken by God for you. And in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus knew there would be a payoff. Even though he was suffering, he knew there would be a payoff. What was the joy set before him? You know, he's just on the cross suffering. He's thinking... Man, one day they're going to write some really uplifting and emotional songs about this. It's going to be really incredible. Uh, they're going to win Dove Awards, you know. They're going to sell thousands of albums. They're just going to, oh, they're going to raise their heads. It's going to be incredible. Was that the joy set before him? Was that all Jesus had in mind? Come on. Or was it that men and women would be fully devoted to God and their whole lives be an offering of worship? That every man and woman, the veil was torn, the Bible says, so that every person can come to God the Father at any time. So it's not relegated to worship songs. I love our worship songs. I believe 
with all my heart that our worship services are biblical. We clap, we rejoice, we sing, we speak in tongues, we prophesy, we use instruments. All that's in the Bible. That's awesome. But if that's all it is, if that's all we call our worship, then it's shallow and incomplete. Because how many know you could, you could raise your hands in church and then outside of church live like the devil. And, that, and, this, and this is just false worship. They, they speak my praise with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. That is not the worship, but everything what we are, everything we do in life is to be worshipful unto him. Not just the songs we sing, not just the lifting of our hands, not just the hallelujahs. Again, it's the diaper changes, it's the back rubs, it's, it's, it's being humble on your job and working with all your heart. Those things are spiritual, those things are acts of worship. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you drink, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God gets glory when you mow the lawn. God gets glory when you change the diapers. God gets glory when you're taking your kids to the doctor. It's not, it's not simply the worship songs. It's not simply the, the times in these atmospheres. Because listen, the Holy Ghost is always in you. He doesn't take a day off. I'm checking out, says the Holy Ghost. I'll see you next Sunday, says the Holy Ghost. That is not the case. But I love this. Whatever we do, if we do it unto him, it's sweet worship. He delights in it. He rejoices in it. And it, and it gives us a sense of dignity and worth, whatever we do. Let's say you're unemployed. I was unemployed for a season. And I hung my head so low. I just really felt like, like a worm. I didn't feel like, like a man at all. Felt so inadequate. And I would just go and fill out applications and go to these interviews and a lot of these jobs I didn't even really like, you know, like, like I, okay, they might hire me, but, you know, it's probably not going to be the best job, but I would do it anyway. But I understand that when I did it with the heart of faith, when I did it in the sight of God, when I understood that he saw me, he took delight in it. He smiled on it. He blessed it. And that became a sacred act. Even though I did it, even though I was hurting, it was, it was that act of trust more than anything else, more than my hallelujahs or anything else would do. It was spiritual. I want to give you one final thought. The Bible says that we as Christians will have rewards for the things we do, and it gives us the picture of a crown. It says you're going to get crowns. But then it says elsewhere in the Bible that we're going to take our crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus. So I want to ask you this question in closing. What crowns will you lay at his feet? What crowns will you lay at his feet? Think about back to the being a steward. Think back to you're presenting your spouse to Christ. You're presenting your job to Christ. You're saying, Jesus, here are my kids. And you're laying them at his feet. Here are my kids. I raised them the best I could. I taught them in the ways they should go. I tried to set an example. Here's my kids. Here's my job. I came every I came to work every day. I was never late except that one day I was throwing up and I got sick. But I always came in, Lord, and I did it unto you. Here's my job. Here's my car, Lord. It wasn't much, Lord, but you blessed me and you enabled me to give people rides to church and you enabled me to borrow it to that person for their driving lesson. Here's the car you gave me, God. Everything we give, it's going to go back to him. It's from him and through him and then it's to him. What crowns, as, as uh, we could get the band up, what crowns will we lay at the feet of Jesus? If everybody could stand.
Shiraranamase, and we, we wait for the music, but how many know we don't need music to feel spiritual, especially after this sermon? Shiraranamase, what are your crowns? What do you have? What's in your inventory? Wherever you're at in life, you say, well, I don't have much going for me. Well, what do you have? What can you give to God? God, here's my education. I, I, I used it to, to enlighten others about you. God, here's, here's all that I have. What are the crowns that we want to lay at the feet of Jesus? God, here's my house. I was hospitable. I opened it up to people who needed it. We had Bible studies there, Lord. I never treated it like it was my house. Lay it at your feet. If we could just grab our journals. That question is outlined in, in your journal. So let's let's grab that. Everybody who has it, please grab it. And and fill in those, fill it in prayerfully. What do you have? You may not have much, but what you have, if you give it to God, it'll matter. Jesus, we love you. We bless you in this place. Father, as we reflect, as we respond to this message, to what we've heard, as we take inventory of our lives and the things that you've given us, Lord, we pray that they would all be pleasing to you. Make our lives an offering to you, Jesus. Make our lives an offering to you, Lord. Make our lives a continual offering of worship to you, Jesus. write these down. Let us think of our things in ways we never thought of before. We nev may never seen our job as a spiritual act, God, but let us see it as such now. We never may have thought of our, our family time as spiritual or not spiritual enough, God, but let, us, let it be that much more now. Let us take inventory of our possessions, the things that you entrusted to us. Of our talents, of our time. God, how can it be translated to glory?
just to take the next minute between you and the Lord. We've learned in this conference, we've had times to meditate, times to really learn how to hear God's voice. 
And that may be a new concept for you, actually to talk and to God and, and have God talk back. But again, I want you to have it out. Talk with the Lord. And I want you to share with Him. What are those things you're going to do? We sang a song of worship. It's beautiful. Praise unto God. He loves it. But what else are you going to do for him this week? When we leave this atmosphere, when we leave this conference, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to praise him? How are we going to worship him? What are we going to do unto him? Just have it out with Jesus. As the, as the band plays, and Brother Ish, if you may, you may prophesy, minstrel. As, as, we, as we just search the deep things of God and as we have God search us, as we take inventory of what God wants to see in our lives. If you want to grab a seat or go to your knees, you can. But we're just going to meditate for a few moments before we close out here today. Come on. Just Ish and Rachel, stay up here. The rest of you guys can go back to your seat. We're going to end with an altar call. So those of you who still want prayer, you can get it. But the heart of this conference is to teach you how to hear from God. speak God we are listening
Come on, as she sings that out, Brother Andrew, could you just put up the first slide that says this? Oh, this theme for this conference. In always, always to live a life pleasing for you, God. Oh, God, that's our heart, Jesus. That's our heart, Jesus. I just want to please you, God, always. In always, God. Oh, God, receive the glory. Since we live by your spirit, I want to keep in step with your spirit. Since we live by your spirit, I want to keep in step with your spirit. with your spirit empower us God Soak it in, saints. Come on. Your house ain't going nowhere. Come on. There'll be another sports preseason game. Come on. You got plenty of time. Plenty of time here before we dismiss just to go deeper. Come on. I feel this is just one more chance for somebody to touch heaven and change earth. This is somebody's chance right now to solidify what God's been trying to do this whole weekend. For others, this is another confirmation. Don't be in a hurry. This is where it starts. This is where we lay down our lives for his glory. Come on, this is where fathers become men of God and raise their children in the fear and admonition of God. This is when mothers learn the heart of God and compassion for their children beyond what their nature gives them but what the spirit gives them come on this is where favor comes this is where wisdom comes this is where authority comes restoration in his presence in his in his loving presence when we totally surrender to him Sixty more seconds, just because I know, I know that we're we're getting it. I'm just going to give you sixty more seconds to trust Him, so at least you can say this pastor gave you that extra time to release your heart fully to Him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come on, if you're believing it right now, just thank him. Come on, just thank him. Hallelujah. Come on, we bless the Lord. We worship him. Hallelujah.
we'll just give him some praise before we leave out this place. Hallelujah. Glory to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the bright and morning star. Thank you, God. Thank you for showing up and showing off today, God. Thank you for looking at us beyond our weakness and seeing our need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are so grateful. Amen. Can I get somebody to say amen? Praise God. If you feel him, just give him a hand clap of praise one more time. If you know he's here, woo, just stay up here. Band, would you come back? Altar workers, would you come? And would you all take a seat for 30 seconds? Thank you for coming to this conference. Tomorrow is going to be our last service. It's also Sunday service. So make sure you come. Bring a friend and just be expecting God to do something hashtag life all over Twitter, Facebook. Let the social media know there is life in Jesus. Go to your friends, man. Send them the invitation. I'm going to put a new one up right when I walk out of here. Tag them in it. Call them up. Say, you need to come with me tomorrow at 10 a.m. God is going to do something in your life. So tomorrow we're going to finish it at 10 a.m. If you want to be radical, come for 9.15 prayer. But 10 a.m., we're going to finish this awesome conference, Life in the Spirit. And to celebrate, we're going to have a baptismal service right out there, right on that porch. Come on, somebody, with that cross. We're going to put out a baptismal pool. And we're going to invite the whole community because the Bible says when you throw a, van a banquet, don't just invite your friends, but invite the cripple. Invite your enemy. We're going to say to this whole entire block, come and party with us. So we're going to have food. We're going to have activities for the children. We're going to pull out the basketball nets. And we are going to just extol and lift up Jesus as we baptize one after another and symbolize their new life to this whole community. So come, amen, expecting God to do something that he said he would do. And as a preacher, I feel like I need to say something else, but that's it. Let's all stand up. <laughs> I was like, man, there's got to be something else. Now that's it. Would y'all hold each other's hands like a big familia? When we say be dismissed, fellowship is out there with refreshments. Thank you all for coming. But the altar workers are here if you just want somebody to pray for you what you've been going through this weekend. And the band is going to take you to the after party. So those of you who just want another dose of the Holy Ghost, don't go nowhere. Hang around. I'm going to ask the greatest man of God that I've ever had the privilege of meeting to close us out in prayer. Jim Wyrostic, my dad from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He came and surprised us today to hear Nancy preach and to bless us. So he brought some friends. And, uh, Dad, would you just pray for us that we'll just do what he told us to do? My God, before I say, before I pray, I had one word. I had one word when you were talking about that lady out there. She said, this is a laundromat. That's what the Holy Ghost said to me. He said, you tell her, this is a spiritual laundromat. You see, the people come in here. We get them clean. Amen. Amen. We clean them up here. Glory to God. Father, 
we just pause right now here in Chicago. We just pause right now in the name of Jesus. While everybody's doing whatever they're doing out there, we're pausing right now and giving you thanks. I thank you, Lord, for the word that came forth from Nancy, from Jared. I thank you for the worship team. I thank you for every person that's here right now. And I pray and I ask a special blessing upon each person here, each family that's here. Father, I just ask that you pour out to them supernaturally uncommon things that they don't even expect. And Father, I look forward to tomorrow for the lives that are going to be changed, people that are going to be saved, people that are going to be delivered, healings that are going to take place, families that are going to be restored. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. We go our way now, Lord, but we're not leaving. We're coming back. And we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you tomorrow. Band, take us there. Next level. If you need prayer, come on up. We're here for any need you may have. Any need you may have. We're going to pray for you. Otherwise, you are dismissed. God bless you. Darkness tremble in your home.